Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. There has not been a downturn yet in terms of business sales. So through the second quarter of 2022, average businesses, the values are up. So the values of the businesses that we've sold at Transworld at Business Advisors have continued to grow. And the same in terms of per number of transactions. Not only have we seen an increase on how much a business is worth, but we've seen an increase on how many businesses are being sold both exceeding more than 20% year-over-year growth. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. In today's episode, we want to talk about the unmentionable, I guess, or people can't decide whether or not we're in a recession or not in a recession. And I think it doesn't matter. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. And and we've been debating putting together the show for weeks now. And the approach we're going to take to it is how does the macroeconomic things that are going on affect the business sale environment and affect business valuations. So that's the approach we're taking. Put the debate aside is, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Is there a recession looming? It doesn't matter. Let's talk about what's going on in the business sale environment respective to all of those macroeconomic indicators. Yeah, because it doesn't matter what's really happening on a huge macro, whether we're defining it as a recession. It looks like the last two quarters have had some downward growth, which is all definition, a recession. And right. then there's a bunch of economic, economic folks, and we'll talk to one later, uh, about whether or not it's truly recession because the economic downturn, the economic down uh, in, in the growth hasn't been very much, and whether or not inflationary or low unemployment is really pointing the other way, and inflation not you know being ebbed is pointing the other way. All those things, it doesn't matter. What it, what it is doing, what a lot of these factors are doing, is starting to affect what we're doing here at Transworld and business sales. But on some levels, it's not. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk through some of those um, indicators and how they're affecting business sales. But the first thing we want to say is there has not been a downturn yet in terms of business sales. So through the second quarter of 2022, average businesses, the values um, are up. So the values of the businesses that we've sold at Transworld at Business Advisors have continued to grow. And the same in terms of per number of transactions. So not how not only have we seen an increase on how much a business is worth, but we've seen an increase on how many businesses are being sold, both exceeding more than 20% year-over-year growth. So now our business lags a little bit behind other economic trends, um, which is good news because if you're sitting and listening to this in your car, your office today, and you're still debating whether or not you, you should sell your business, we're still going to have a bit of a lag. So right now, today in business sales, there's not been a downturn. There's actually been an increase in valuations and deals getting done. Yeah, and I don't think there's been a downturn because we're not in as bad shape as we were in the Great Recession, right? Right. 
Um, so we we think that the economy, while it certainly has its pressures, uh, you know, and you would think all these pressures would have somewhat of a downturn effect on the number of businesses being sold and the valuations of those businesses being sold. As you pointed out, it hasn't happened yet. Yet we do lag. We do lag a little bit, but we don't think uh, it's happened quite yet. Uh, because we're in still better shape than we were in 2008, 2009 during the Great Recession. And one of the reasons, number two reason why we think things haven't changed much yet is because there's still a ton of money in the marketplace. And one of the reasons why we think we're in better shape than we were in 2009 as far as and eight and 10, whatever you want to call it, the Great Recession, one of the reasons why we think we're in better shape than we were then was banks were killed. I mean, banks were slaughtered, balance sheets were in the dumper, the housing market was taking a huge tumble and people were upside down in the properties and there was a whole ton of loans that these banks had that they were now going to have to start chewing on. Mm -hmm. And that is not happening right now. And there's a lot of other money in the marketplace, right? Yeah, there's a lot of other other money in the marketplace. I mean, private equity is still searching for deals. There's a lot of new buyers coming to the marketplace, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But there's a ton of money, and and look, banks do drive um, a big portion of of the lending environment for business acquisitions, and and we're not seeing any of those indications that they're going to be pulling back. And one yeah. of the reasons they're not going to be pulling back is number three, is interest rates are rising, so they're now making more money um, in some cases on some of these loans. Um, and interest rates rising could bring down some of the the borrowing capacity and it could bring down some of the prices. But I do want to remind like our audience, we we're not in the same ballpark as like residential mortgages, right? Like business loans did not see two and a half percent interest rates, right? There's still a lot more risk in acquiring a business than there is purchasing real estate. So I think our stability around interest rates are is a little bit better because we had didn't see that low fluctuation. And honestly, they're still well below 10%, right? So it's still fairly inexpensive money for buyers and a good deal for buying a business. And I think buyers will continue to use that. I mean, th these very low interest rates were a very short blip in our economy. If, if you think about it over the long term, as long as you can get some money from a bank below 10% interest, that's still a really good deal on terms of your leveraging your capital in order to expand or get into business. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we saw 4% maybe on some of these maybe, SPL loans. Some of them, yeah, maybe. Maybe, but, you know, and then now at, they're probably going to top out around 8%, right? right. So 8% money on buying a business where you're getting a cap rate of something like 25 or even more, you know, up to 50% for a business, you know, buying it two times is a 50% yeah. cap rate, right? Three times is a 33% quite round numbers. I mean, you know, right. there's yeah. there's a lot of things that kind of go into that, but still it's a very good deal. Money is still relatively cheap and certainly available. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing. There's still a lot of cash on balance sheets out there in the world. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think we're doing, we're gonna do well as far as money being available tons of cash still chasing deals. I, I mean, I, I got two phone calls today that people were starting up private equity groups or a new fund 
organizing a new fund, looking to place money. And, you know, the private equity, uh, some of the private equity buyers I was talking to were arguing about buying things at 11 times, 12 oh. times, you know, and this is big stuff, right? You yeah. know, yeah. $10 million EBITDAs and up $20 million EBITDAs. But if that's what they're paying on the big level, it still means that there's a ton of cash out there and not enough deals. So I think there's still plenty of room as far as cash being deployed out there in the world. And if they're paying that high of a price, they're get, that money is going to start trickling down, continue to trickle down, which we've seen into our world. Yeah. And I mean, mentioning that there's not enough deals because there's too much cash. What's the other thing that we're seeing um, that's really helping drive these evaluation increases? Well, there's still a lot of buyers in the marketplace. I mean, there's still a ton of buyers. And we talked about this a little bit in our quarterly update. You know, there's still an ever increasing level of resignation and relocation of employees across the country. And I think that's for two reasons. Number one, we've talked about the great resignation before where people want to control their own destiny. They want flexible hours. They want to be in control of their day. And so that leads a lot of people to entrepreneurship because, you know, you could work any 24 hours a day you want to work yeah. uh, in entrepreneurship. Sometimes all of them. So not that you're going to work less, but you're in control, right? And people want to see that. We see baby boomers and Gen X. I mean, baby boomers getting out, Gen X and Gen Z getting in and other, you know, folks uh, looking to buy. And we see a great shift in populations and it's funny because I just got back from New York and Seattle, uh, and I happen to have a little bit of knowledge about the housing market in both because my daughters are housed in both those cities. And the prices are not coming down because everybody's leaving yet. I mean, people are not leaving. In fact, a lot of people are moving to the city still. But again, we're seeing people move to rural areas because they can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has been, I think, a big driver for the valuation increase because we have so many new buyer pools. And I remember, this was before the pandemic, Andy, and we were talking about what we we're calling the seller tsunami, when the the baby boomers were going to retire and there was going to be these glut of businesses. And we're like, who is going to buy all these businesses? And then all of a sudden a pandemic occurs and all these buyers come to the market. So not only have we seen these um, Gen X and Gen Ys like step up and want to become entrepreneurs through the great resignation, you mentioned we've got strong balance sheets for small businesses. So we've seen an increase of strategic acquisitions of businesses buying similar businesses to each other. And then even before the pandemic, there was really high competition, like you mentioned, amongst the big deals with private equity firms, and that just continues to increase. So this buyer pool just continues to increase in size. Um, I don't want to say it's become more popular to buy a business, but it's definitely become, I mean, we've also talked about like people don't know that you can enter entrepreneurship through acquisition. And that's that's really become a forefront issue in the last two years. There's a lot more people that are aware of that path to entrepreneurship. So it's because of the Deal Board podcast. That's it's why. totally because of the Deal Board podcast. <laughs> we would set out to do education and this is why. So if if you uh if you are buying a business because of the deal board, make sure you hit us up on social and tell us that. So yeah. And and, and again, even if even if the buyer the buyer, uh, the buyer activity dropped by 25%. Even 
50%, I think, we would still have plenty of buyers to buy good businesses. Now, there might be some slowdown of other things being taken out of the marketplace. And, uh, but if good business, when a good business comes up for sale, it's probably going to sell. And, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be plenty of buyers in the marketplace. So that's, uh, again, the glut's not going away anytime soon. No, no. So let's move to the elephant in the room, uh, which is inflation, right? And inflation is going to affect every small business, but we have not seen it completely shrink small businesses' bottom lines yet. Most businesses have been able to raise their prices and balance out their increase in costs with their increase of their sales prices to offset these supply chain and labor issues. But look, that's not a long-term solution. Um, we don't think small businesses can continue to raise their prices every quarter if we're still going to be facing um, escalating or even you know stagnant fl- inflation over time. Um, we know as consumers, if someone's coming to us and they're going to increase our price every three or four months, we're probably going to start looking for business elsewhere. So this is something that could affect um, business values because as we talked about in valuation before, if profits fall, value valuations of businesses fall. Profits are directly tied to the value of the company. So another reason to consider selling now, right? Because you still are in that window where you can raise prices and you can balance out the inflation. You are. People are getting really creative about it too. I've seen all kinds of things. Uh, I've seen, uh, I'm part of this Facebook group that talks about all the restaurants in South Florida. And a lot of people were complaining because they actually have a service charge that they're yep. throwing on there or an inflation charge. I've seen that, that too. And, yeah. and they're throwing on a you know 5% inflation charge onto restaurants. Um, and again, I think that's a good move by the restaurants. They're hoping that it starts to come down. I was talking to a contractor this morning and he said for the first time in some of his jobs that he's been bidding out, he was talking about an electrical work on a job. He says, he was getting bids of about one hundred and fifty to one hundred forty thousand dollars for the electrical portion of this, you know, spec home that they're building. Mm-hmm. And he said he just got a bid from one of the top electrical companies out there, which does amazing work. He says at ninety eight thousand mm. dollars. So he said he's seeing that uh, the layer, the lumber prices have come down. Right. Uh, some of the other uh, subs are starting to feel like, hey. It's starting to cool down uh, new construction. So I think that inflation is not going to continue to, ch- you know, to crunch this. So again, I think uh, inflation has not completely shrunk, but businesses bottom lines. And I think we're going to continue to, to see um, it be, be a healthy marketplace. And I think the elephant in the room that we constantly talk about, even beyond <laughs> the inflation elephant, is the other inflation is the seller tsunami. We talk about it all the time, but they're starting to come to the marketplace. Yeah. It was interesting because I was thinking back, we, I think in January 2020, we said they're starting to come, it's starting to happen. It was because our statistics had showed us in 2019 that over 40% of our sales were for retirement reasons. Now we saw a lull. We saw some of that pullback during the pandemic. I think when we charted our office in 2020 and through 2021, we were in the 20s, like 26%, 28%. Because if we want to generalize, baby boomers have really good businesses. They have longevity. um, They're pretty stable over time. And they knew they could pull back and they could wait to sell their business until we got through this blip. 
Well, we got through the blip and at the end of last year, Andy, you and I were talking and we're like, man, there is so many new businesses coming to the market that we, I mean, for the first time we were having trouble keeping up. Um, and most of them were baby boomers. So it's back. Yeah. I, you know, listen, all the things that we just talked about, the stressors of inflation, the stressors of labor costs and supply chain issues, and just plain old age. You know, it is, it is harder and harder to run a business. Uh, there's all kinds of things out there for small business owners to worry about, whether it's cyber th theft or, you know, fraud or, you know, having to change uh, software platforms or, you know, having to upgrade machinery and equipment or start implementing robots, you know, boom, these lot. baby boomer <laughs> brains are exploding. You're making my brain explode. That's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with, you know? Right. So we think the baby boomers are now coming. So I think while that may help shrink some values, because obviously more inventory would mean that there's more businesses available. I'm not sure that it really does compared to all the other reasons that we do. So I think it's still a very healthy sale market, even though baby boomers are here. Maybe it's just better prices I mean, better opportunities for all these buyers we have. Yeah, I think it really, um, we were worried years ago that, like I mentioned, we wouldn't have enough buyers and now we have more than enough buyers, right? So I think actually the inventory increase will, like you said, it'll balance the market and there'll be good deals to be had by all. Now, all this being said, and we we keep saying this, but it, it is, it's a great time to sell your company. And neither of us have a crystal ball to know what we can predict in the future. And we don't know if we're going to go into a deep re recession or do a soft landing and bounce back out. But there's some indications that point to that the, the market could soften in the future. And right now we know it is a great time to sell. So if you're con considering it, we would hope you'd consider reaching out and having at least a discussion with a transferable business advisor about where your business is at. Yeah, 2022 is probably just about going to be closing out soon of trying to get your business sold this year, especially if you're a sizable business. So now you're looking at uh, 2023 of getting something done and you need to plan now. I mean, actually it's August. You're not getting, you're probably you know, not. Yeah, there's probably rarely that your deal's getting done unless it's all cash, which is yeah, very hard. Yeah, to and people yeah. will be listening to this in September. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's time. It really is time to uh, look at your choices, finish out the year strong, get your books and records in, you know, like we've talked about all those kind of things that you need to do to get your business prepared. Uh, read uh, Jessica's book, read my book, you know, get ready because uh, this is the marketplace. And, you know, while you think that the recession is here and it may be a bad time to sell, we're here to tell you that even though there may be a, a recession by definition in our market, still not. Yep, it's not. So we've got um, another opinion to share with you today. We've got some listings of the week, deals of the week. Um, as always, I'd love to hear from you. So if there's a topic you want us to cover, please reach out to us on our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back. And it is listing of the week. And I have Bill Rowland here. 
amazing business broker from Transworld Business Advisors of St. Louis West. And you are an expert at selling retail and groceries, and you have a really nice furniture store, right? We do, we do. We have a furniture store. Uh, we're in the St. Louis market. What I found is some of these outlying country areas, these stores have been there for 40, 50 years, and they're staples in the area. Right. So we've got one that just listed 1.1 million, uh, over 750,000 in net. Uh, very good opportunity. COVID last year, they killed it. Everybody was ordering sure. everything, um, and they're doing great. So it's it's a good opportunity. No competition for probably 70 miles. Wow. And I found this to be a trend. I've sold about six grocery stores in the past. Same situation. These small towns, not a lot of competition. And the town is worried they're going to lose their grocery store right. or their furniture store. Right. So, yeah, a lot so, of good opportunities. In small owners towns. retiring or something? Owners are retiring, absolutely. Wow. Sounds so. like a great deal. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Bill? Well, give me a call, 636-345-3426, or catch me on my email, broland at tworld.com. Excellent. Great listing. Thanks All for right. coming aboard. Good. Thanks. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are super excited because we have a very special guest. We are talking about the economy. And we have Dr. Ben Tabatabai from the Florida Chamber, chief economist of the Florida Chamber. Uh, certainly, the Florida economy is rolling along, but uh, the doctor has uh, international uh, experience uh, out in California, been a professor. You, your your bio is quite long, doctor, and so thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Andy. Excellent. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about the economy. And, you know, kind of our first question was that we've been going back and forth with, with are we in a recession? Well, uh, the, the classical definition of recession has been two consecutive quarters of negative growth of uh, the economy output in real GDP. And we can see that the first quarter, there was a contraction by 1.6%. And the second quarter, uh, the data that was released on July 29th showed that the economy contracted by additional 0.9%. So yes, in terms of the classical definition of a recession, we are in a recession. The question is, uh, how impactful is this recession going to be? Yeah, sure. And and obviously, we, we talk here at Transworld, we are working with uh, small to medium-sized businesses, uh, certainly, you know, not the public markets. We're talking about, you know, mom and pop businesses right on up to middle market. And so they are definitely feeling this. I mean, we've talked to a lot of our people that are considering selling or, or thinking about selling or already in the process of selling. And it is definitely, you know, affecting them. They have to raise prices. They have to respond to uh, pressure, uh, you know, pressures like uh, supply chain issues and labor. It, it, are you seeing that like continuing or, you know, is are things somewhat abating? Well, um, uh, I, I don't think this is going to be uh, a prolonged recession. Um, a lot of the, the issues that we are facing has to do uh, with the government shutdown during COVID. And we're still not quite back to normal. Um, the good thing about Florida is it's one of 
uh, only 15 states uh, that has surpassed pre-pandemic levels in terms of mm. unemployment. And uh, besides uh, uh, leisure and hospitality, we have surpassed uh, employment uh, in every major area. Uh, so that's a positive for Florida. Yeah, we're, we are definitely feeling that in Florida. We have re rebounded very, very well here in Florida. What about some of the other places in the United States? They lagged basically dependent on what their response to COVID was? Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, as we uh, saw in COVID, uh, Florida didn't fully shut down. And that made a significant difference in its ability to recover uh, the jobs that it had lost during COVID. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, there is uh, 300,000 people looking for work uh, and there is uh, 600,000 jobs looking for people. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, yes, for employers in Florida who want to hire, uh, there continues to be a significant challenge. Uh, it's not just their imagination that they can fulfill the positions that they have. Uh, in, uh, and, and again, um, uh, 35 states have not yet reached pre-pandemic uh, levels. And that had a lot to do with the severe shutdown. And uh, there was a lot of businesses that went uh, belly up um, due to COVID. A lot of small businesses, um, uh, small uh, uh, retail outlets, um, a lot of restaurants, all of those were heavily impacted as a result of COVID. Yeah, we're seeing that here at Trends World. We, we just uh, did our Q1 and Q2 numbers for 2022. And we have now seen across the country, uh, the numbers of sales in certain segments uh, rebound. So finally, uh, the, the, the sellers have come back in the restaurant industry uh, fitness has jumped up into the top 10 again, which was really devastated. And same with some of the personal uh, beauty slash, uh, you know, spa kind of businesses, which were very popular to buy and sell for small mom and pops. And that has now come back. And I think what we saw was, you're right, that a lot of those businesses closed. And then there was opportunity for people to just go into those businesses, you know, basically lease a place and start up. And now we're seeing uh, in a lot of biz, uh, in a lot of like things like hospitality, uh, especially there's not a lot of lease space open. So a lot of people are now looking to perhaps buy second generation restaurants. So that's just anecdotal. But, you know, this is different than the first uh, recession or the last great recession in 2009. What are some of the differences you see well, uh, it's you're absolutely right. It's very different. Um, uh, first of all, uh, just to briefly remind everyone why the 2008-2009 Great Recession happened, um, there was excessive risk-taking in a favorable, favorable financial environment. Um, interest rates were very, very low. Um, the cost of borrowing was negligible. Uh, government policy of having Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae increase home ownership uh, without fully considering the ability of, uh, of borrowers to pay back their loans, hence uh, an increase in subprime mortgages. 
uh, borrowers were borrowing, borrowing beyond their ability to be able to repay. And this also encouraged fraud. Uh, so a lot of people were overstating um, their income and uh, you didn't have to show much paperwork uh, to substantiate your application. Uh, uh, the development of private label mortgage-backed securities, PMBS, uh, was something new that people didn't fully understand, neither did uh, investors or even institutional investors. Um, people thought that um, because of PMBS, uh, it actually mitigated the risk. They thought these were the subprime mortgages were packaged with better mortgages, so they didn't have to be concerned. Um, uh, over-evaluation of home prices in certain markets because of subprime mortgages. Uh, so it increased demand for homes. Um, Mortgage-backed securities began to fail, a panic set in, especially with um, the collapse and failure of uh, US financial firms like Lehman Brothers. And then of course, other firms started going down on there. So there were major institutional problems within uh, our financial markets that wasn't fully vetted and understood. And government policy, of course, made things much worse. Uh, it encouraged this kind of behavior. Uh, and then when they should have helped Lehman Brothers, they didn't, and then it caused a massive panic. So that's very different from the circumstance we have today. Um, in hindsight, the shutting down of the economy because of COVID-19 was a huge mistake. As an international business and political economist, focusing on macroeconomic growth and development, I must always do a cost-benefit risk analysis to see if a public policy will be good or will it cause harm? And right. will the harm be greater than good? Um, most importantly, the shutdowns did not even prevent the spread of COVID-19. Uh, so a policy that was supposed to contain the disease was a failure. Uh, shutting the economy drastically decreased productivity. And also the other challenge uh, that it caused, many people stopped going to their doctors or hospitals for preventative care. And so now we're seeing the effect of a lot of people having health issues and so uh, productivity decreases or they drop out of the workforce. Uh, government paying people uh, not to work for extended period of time. And most people uh, dropped out of the workforce uh, that uh, since their uh, government paycheck was larger than the paycheck they were collecting uh, from working. Um, and what's interesting is that most of the people did not spend the money. I've talked with numerous uh, um, credit union uh, senior management or banks, and they all discussed that their deposits had increased dramatically by several billion dollars. And those deposits are still in place. Hmm. Uh, that, that is interesting, because I've asked that question, where did all these workers go? Why aren't they back in the workforce yet? Yeah, and and of course, part part of it was that in a lot of states you didn't actually have to pay rent or your mortgage, and so that's a major driver of cost uh, for most people. Sure. Uh, uh, so all of these things really affected, um, uh, and then of course there was an increase of money supply, 
Um, and inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Right. As uh, Milton Friedman was fond of saying, only the government has a printing press and can print mm -hmm. money. Uh, so th that's what caused the inflation and that, and of course, the supply chain management issues that we had. Um, so th these these uh, issues really fundamentally affected where we are right now. Um, let me just mention a couple of other things. Sure. Um, once it was decided, once it was decided that um, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline uh, would be offline with the new administration, what people don't understand is that yes, the Keystone pipeline wasn't going to pipe in oil immediately, but it affected the futures market. So in the futures market, when the XL pipeline came off, it raised the cost of oil in the futures market, and that eventually affected uh, the cost of petroleum and then uh, what we saw at the pump. And of course, restrictions on oil pr production and fracking in the United States um, as the economy was rebounding from uh, COVID dramatically raised the cost of energy. And as we see, we do have 9.1% inflation, but the cost of energy is over 41%. Right. Yeah, that it, certainly the prices of fuel are up. They're coming down a little bit. And, and perhaps that's a good segue into, so how does this all resolve or how do you see it kind of resolving? Are we, are we kind of tweaking things in the right way, raising interest rates, perhaps increasing production or getting other people to in, increase production in fuel? Uh, you know, the raising interest rates, will it calm down the housing market starts to the point where, you know, the supply chain might ease up a little bit, you know, because anecdotally, you know, I talk to a lot of contractors and they're waiting six months or 12 months for appliances to try to finish houses or even jobs. We're talking small businesses to build out again, to build out a restaurant from scratch to try to get the stainless products, to try to get the electricians, to try to get the the plumbers, to try to get the refrigeration units in, is taking time. And so does everything that we're trying to do now resolve, or is it just resolved because of economic, you know, guns and butter, people are just kind of cutting back and, you know, it'll resolve itself? Well, um, there's a huge challenge. Yes, the prices at the pump have come down. But the reason has been because the costs were so high that people have cut back on driving, yeah, which sure. affects economic growth. So first, let's talk about what is the correct policy? What should we be doing right now? The correct policy is that we should immediately increase oil production domestically. And of course, uh, increase uh, oil production internationally. Yeah. And, and, and Currently, uh, that's not being done, of course, because of the challenges with Russia. Uh, the Saudis are pretty much at peak production right now. Uh, they don't have too much greater capacity to increase oil production. And of course, um, Iran, one of the major producers of OPEC, is pretty much off market right now because of the sanctions. So the need for domestic oil production is urgent. Uh, second, um, th there is still um, between one to uh, four trillion dollars between 
the executive, legislative, and the Fed uh, worth of uh, money for COVID-19 programs that still hasn't been completely spent or is in the pipeline. And so we, we have to pretty much shut that down immediately um, because you can't reduce inflation and yet keep pumping money into the economy. Right. Uh, it, it, it doesn't help. Um, the only thing, the only policy that's now left is the increase of interest rates by Fed. And by it by itself, it's not particularly helpful to get immediately the results which we want, which is to lower inflation. And of course, because inflation um, is driven by the cost of energy. So when the cost of transportation goes up, the cost of food and food production goes up. Sure. Uh, as, and of course, we see the cost of food, you know, at uh, uh, five and a half to nine and a half percent, and then of the cost of energy is over 41%. So this creates a major problem. Uh, and the, pro the challenge is as the Fed continues to increase interest rates, it creates another major problem for the U.S. economy because the financing of the U.S. debt, uh, the interest rate on the debt is much higher. Uh, and that creates all sorts of problems in itself. So uh, are, are we in a great position? No, we're not. <laughs> There's a lot that needs to be done to get this under control. Um, and of course, we can later talk about what Florida is doing. Um, so, yeah, we could jump right into that. What What is Florida doing? Well, uh, uh, we're very focused um, at the at the Florida Chamber of Commerce on uh, making sure that Florida's economy continues to remain globally competitive. Uh, we're now, uh, as a measure as measured by GDP, if we were on uh, uh, if we were our own country, we are the fifteenth largest economy in the world. Uh, we're larger than Turkey, than Indonesia, than Saudi Arabia, uh, than Holland. Uh, so there's a lot of things that are positive and going well for um, Florida. For example, uh, we don't have a state income tax. Uh, we're dependent on sales revenue. And uh, the last uh, two months that uh, for uh, uh, May and June, which we have the data out, uh, it was the second and the third highest uh, revenue for the state, uh, which is primarily driven uh, by consumption. Right. Sure. Uh, so the model that we have in Florida is working well. Um, we expect that by 2030, there will be three and a half additional people uh, moving to Florida. Uh, and that creates a lot of growth challenges, but uh, we're also predicting where they will move. 81% uh, will move into 10 counties, 51% uh, into five counties. And what's also very, very significant about Florida is that uh, we keep track of how much money is moving into Florida, economic, migra economic migration. It's $23.7 billion. Uh, it's three and a half times the amount of money that's moving into Texas. Um, and 
this amount is so large that we can't just simply measure it by month, by week, or by day. We measure it per hour, 365 days a week, and that's $2.7 million an hour. It's, a, it's, it's incredible. You, uh, the, the Florida Chamber uh, and uh, has a great dashboard. Uh, there's a great dashboard out there. That's the Florida we, scorecard. Florida scorecard. Yes, and we, we keep uh, track of uh, hundreds and uh, thousands of metrics. Uh, and what's important, well, what's very unique about this, in the history of United States, nothing like this has ever happened. Um, as a matter of fact, the six next states uh, with economic inflows, if you add all of them, they just they equal that of Florida. Right. Uh, and if you look at the uh, top 10 states with economic, uh, net economic outflow, uh, it's about $51 billion. And this is roughly close to 50%, equivalent to 50% of the money that they're losing. Um, and just to be clear, we're not saying 50% of that money is coming to Florida, but it's equivalent to nearly 50% um at 23.7 uh, uh, billion dollars yeah it's it's incredible i mean uh, things are on fire for sure um and uh you know again we're, we're hopeful for everyone throughout the united states as well so uh, hopefully the economy uh this will be hopefully a a mild recession uh and then uh, some of those uh things out there will resolve somewhat over the next and it, it may take two two or three years well i i think overall supply chain issues are getting better um, there's factories are begin beginning to ramp up and um, much of the problem is really the uh, microchips right um, and as uh, uh, that issue i think resolves itself within the next six to 12 months a lot of the supply chain issues will be resolved and that will help increase productivity and economic growth. Uh, uh, and I think as we get inflation, a handle on inflation, then we have an opportunity for the economy to rebound. But overall, as the economy grows, then the demand for energy increases. So unless we get that under control by increasing domestic production, we're still in the same pickle. Yeah, I mean, my dad was in the uh, energy business all his life, working for a company that built power plants. So uh, I grew up in that industry, and I know it was always cyc cyclical, uh, but and it was always uh, very dependent on you know domestic production and you know domestic investment right so you know as as the the oil prices go up perhaps it it, it spurs on people to do some more investments uh in production but they need to feel good that it's going to stay right well one, one of the challenges of course with, with the energy sector is these investments are not done on a monthly basis they're done right. on you know, multi-year investments and they're billions and billions of dollars. So the more stability there is in energy policy, the more it creates an opportunity for people to come in and invest long term. Yeah, right. They're not going to build a multi-billion dollar power plant if they don't think they're going to be able to get the fuel for it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Or or a production plant for gas or oil or, you know, or or 
Right, even drilling, drilling even even you know drilling you know they're not uh, like sure. these large uh, companies or uh, venture capital firms that 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 finance this they they really want stability because it, it's still a risky business it's not like every time you drill you're going to hit oil yes absolutely doctor this has been fascinating uh is there any um link that you would like to promote uh today for the florida chamber well, yes, uh, certainly, uh, I think everyone should go and um, uh, look at our website. We uh, um, post various uh, events um, that we have for the Florida Chamber across the state, as well as uh, the Florida score uh, card. And um, we also, they can also sign up on Twitter for our handle. And as soon as uh, we post something of significant on the scorecard, they'll be the first to know. Uh, we do all the work and research so people don't have to. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's amazing. I do look at the Florida scorecard. Uh, and I know we our organization, the uh, Broward Workshop, uh, we posted every uh, meeting uh, before the meeting starts. Uh, we look at the Florida scorecard for both the state and for Broward County here where we are locally. But again, thank you to the you know Florida Chamber and all you do to keep us up to date with everything. I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure and keep up the great work you're doing. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, welcome back. And we are with Deal of the Week, and we are here at our conference, so excuse the background noise. But Josh Sagman, this has to be the most unique business we have ever sold. Josh Sagman from Transworld Business Advisors uh, of West Palm. He's all over the world. Josh, tell us about this business. Well, it's uh, definitely one of the more interesting businesses. It's called Bodies Human Exhibit. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen them. They're the traveling exhibits of human bodies where they basically mummify the bodies and they show you all the muscular characteristics of them. And we actually sold the deal. It was uh, 215 body parts. 10 full bodies, and there was even a uh, fetal exhibit, which needed to have a little separate addendum to it because you can sell bodies, you're not necessarily allowed to sell fetuses. All right, so it sounds like an interesting deal. How long did we have it listed for a while? Oh, uh, yeah, it, it took us a long time. It took us about two years. We actually found a great buyer for it. It's, uh, they're building, get this, a, a dinosaur park. <laughs> in on the west coast near St. Petersburg, Florida, and he felt like it would be a great ancillary business to the dinosaur park. So you can see dinosaurs and you can see human bodies. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's why we took the deal because we knew it would take a special buyer. Transworld is the best at finding the needles in the haystack, and you did it. So congratulations. No, it was a, it was a team effort, and uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely one of those interesting, we'll say, uh, cocktail talk businesses that we sold. There you go. So Josh, if somebody wants to sell more dead bodies, what's the best way to get <laughs> More dead bodies, Joshua Sagman at dworld.com, 561-707-8986. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, buddy. Yep. Hi, I'm Lynn Ozer, president of Multifunding, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit about SBA lending in this economy and the economic world that we find ourselves living in right now. Um, 
last month I was attending a Nagel conference in San Francisco where we learned some facts and figures that I'll share with you about SBA lending and how it's been faring. 7A lending is not as robust as it was last year as far as dollars is concerned, but there's more loans being made. So there was 37,000 SBA loans made so far this fiscal year. That is October 1, 2021 through mid-July and for $19.7 billion. Last year at this time, there were only 34,000 loans made, but for $21.7 billion. So there were less loans, larger dollar amount making you believe that the loan size, the average loan size was definitely higher. And then in 2020, at this point, there were 32,000 loans made for only $16 billion, which is kind of interesting. Right now, the balance of the SBA portfolio, the unpaid principal balance is about $106 billion um, with um, that's up from 103 billion last year. And in 2020, it was at 97 billion. The, the interesting figure that I think is the charge off rate is going down. Um, 0.38% of the portfolio in 2020 of the portfolio was at 97 billion, 0.38% was charged off. At 2021, same time of the 103 billion outstanding, only 0.36 was charged off. And today in 2022, the charge off rates down to 0.22%. Point, point 0.2022%. That seems remarkable to me, considering everything that we're hearing in the economy. So are the numbers true? I don't know. We still seem to see quite a bit of activity. The, the interesting thing I see in the economy now is the rising interest rates. And I think that's what's having the biggest effect on the small business people that we speak to, the clients that are buying businesses or refinancing and so forth. There's been a dramatic um, amount of prepayments because every borrower that was able to convert their SBA loan into a fixed rate loan, either conventional or SBA, um, they've done so with many of them paying off. I've spoken to a lot of friends in the business and anecdotally, they have all been watching runoff and it's been significant in this variable rate, mostly variable rate product that we deal with. Um, and because of the interest rate causing prepayments, we see a drop in premium income. Brokers don't like seeing prepayments and therefore the premiums have gone down and that's reflecting what's going on in the economy with the prepayments. I do think that's going to come back, but, but for now we've seen a, uh, at least 400 
or 500 basis point drop in, in like size loans since earlier, even in this quarter. Um, there, there's a strong demand obviously for fixed rate financing, but as you know, most of the SBA product is variable. So there's a lot of pressure on lenders to reduce the spread over prime loans that they would typically do at 2.75. Some of them are dropping down to two and a half, two and a quarter, and, and even at 2%, because with in order to get the loans approved, they are sensitizing the projections, especially the interest rate, at 300 to 600 basis points over what it currently is. Fully priced SBA loan today is eight and a quarter percent. That means they're sensitizing these loans at 11 and a quarter percent through 15 and a quarter percent. I shudder to think what that would do. But if you're trying to sensitize the projections using those interest rates, you're not going to get very many deals that are going to cash flow. So they have to lower the spread. And that's that's okay for the borrowers. That's that's a good thing. And um, but with the reduction in the premium income, there's kind of a push-pull going on there in the secondary market. The other thing that lenders are doing when they're reviewing SBA loans is they're they're really digging in to the financial projections because they're looking much more closely at labor expenses. Um, we know small businesses, all of them, are struggling with labor, getting labor, and then what they have to pay the labor. The cost of labor is definitely higher and attracting talent is, is a problem for a lot of different industries. So that's that's what's affecting the small business people, and that's what the underwriters are looking at as well. In addition to the long-term COVID effects that have been facing some of these borrowers with um, concentration and diversification of supply chain vendors, um, concentration and diversification of customers is another thing that small business owners are faced with. And when underwriters are looking at the loans, they're looking at all of those expenses and seeing how that's going to affect them. If you're dealing with um, construction lending in any way, shape or form, if any of your borrowers are borrowing money to build a facility, they're facing long time. So, the interest rate reserves are higher. The contingency financing is higher. This all makes the loans larger and more expensive. Um, we're, they're still facing, you know, lumber shortages and other types of material shortages besides labor costs and labor shortages that are also affecting all sorts of construction projects. Small businesses also are facing changing valuation of their collateral. Um, some collateral is depreciating faster than, than others. And some folks are seeing 
where they had been realizing gains in the value of their real estate. Some of the real estate is going down and that's something else that they, they are taking into consideration. So as, as a lender, those are some of the things that, that they're looking at. And specifically in change of ownership loans that you deal with on a regular basis, the business valuations are still working with um, the effects of COVID. Does the seller have EIDL financing or outstanding PPP loans that have to be dealt with? This is causing, I know most of you have probably already experienced it, but this you know, adds time to um, how long it takes for a change of ownership to actually take place until the seller's um, debts with the SBA are satisfied or subordinated. That's something that you have to be really careful with and think about. Um, the business valuations are still looking at the effect that COVID had on the business, on the performance of the business. It, if, it's, if it did exceptionally well, is that an anomaly, an anomaly? Or is if they've done poorly, have they turned the corner? Um, if it's a business, an existing business that's buying another business, the bank is going to look at both how did the owner's business fare during COVID and how did the business they're buying fare during COVID. Looking at the existing business is going to tell them how well were the owners able to handle a crisis? What have they done to, um, to go forward and rebound and, um, and make changes so that they can be more flexible? Were they able to pivot? Or if their industry was hard hit, have they um, returned to profitability? And the same thing goes for the seller's business as well. So these are some of the things that are facing the small business owners on a regular basis. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I know today I was listening to the news, the stock market did great on the day that I am recording this. And um, that's terrific. But tomorrow, the story could change. So no one knows exactly what to do at this particular point of time. So sometimes you're out in the business world and it doesn't seem like anything has changed. And that maybe inflation is is or the recession is not happening. Inflation's definitely happening. Everything costs more. We know that. But are the small businesses able to handle those changes with um, really labor costs and supply chain issues still being at the forefront, not to mention those ugly interest rates? And those are some of the things that we are looking at and think that you should be aware of. Thank you so much. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. 
Welcome back, everybody. We've got our listing of the week uh, live from our Transworld Conference. I have with me Doug Milana from our Philadelphia office. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about this business. I have a pet boarding daycare that's in Philadelphia, about a two-year-old business. The owner previously owned another one in San Diego for about 10 years, sold it, and then moved over to Philadelphia, where he's originally from. Uh, business boards about 50 to 60 dogs a day. And it's open seven days a week, which is quite different in Philadelphia. Most are only Monday through Friday. Oh, it sounds like a good business, really popular industry. Tell us a little bit about the numbers. What's it listed for? How much money does it make? It's listed for just under 700000 The SDE came in just about 300000 Very low overhead, just has the rent, really. And the unique feature is it actually has an in-ground in pool. Oh, wow. That most dog daycares do not have. Yeah, no, that's a unique feature. So if someone wants to learn about this business or perhaps others that you have for sale in the Philadelphia area, how can they get in touch with you? Easy. dmilan at tworld.com or 484-832-7539. All right. Thank you so much, Doug. We hope to have you back on the show soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.